Okay, praise the Lord, certainly that we are his church. Make no mistake about that, in the household of God. And as Chris was talking about this morning, I have a three-part little series to hopefully help us. It's not all-inclusive because, well, I'd have to teach the, all of Scripture and all of the New Testament in order to fully grasp elders and deacons and the church. But to give us kind of a, a firm foundation into what God has created in regards to the church. What are the responsibilities? Who are the people that are saved by grace? How do we continue to walk this life together in all of this? And so there is a lot to say, but at the same time, I hope to dissolve some of the confusion because I know we've all heard things over the years in regards to leadership. Uh, and at the same time, you hear people calling themselves apostles, which don't exist anymore. You hear people calling themselves prophets, which don't exist anymore. You've heard elders, you've heard deacons, maybe you've heard shepherds, you've heard ministers, you've heard bishops, you've heard overseers. What on earth? There's so much. Again, much like the denominations a true Christian is a disciple and a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's not, or she's not, a denomination. Not simply that. They are disciples and followers of the Lord Jesus. And so, as Scripture tells us, that definition of what a Christian is, because, boy, you go out into the world and there are a slew of definitions for what a Christian is, much like a slew of definitions for how the church should be structured and organized under the lordship of Jesus, because he is the head. He is our Lord and our Savior, and he's the reason that I find myself here and the reason that I built my life around him. So, dear Heavenly Father, as always, I certainly thank you for all the blessings in our lives, especially those that we fail to see. And Lord Jesus, certainly, uh, the tangible expression of your church is something that we're able to see. Unfortunately, it gets hijacked. Unfortunately, it gets twisted and turned because of sin and because of the ambitions or desires of wicked people. And so, Lord Jesus, tune our hearts and our minds to your will, that we might understand what your truth looks like in this moment, rather than what we've created as human beings for our own, again, sinful or selfish desires. We love you, Lord Jesus. We trust you and lead us well. It's in your name we pray. Amen. I'm actually going to have to blow my nose. Forgive me. <laughs> I'm really glad that they have all these Kleenexes up here, just for such a moment. <laughs> All right, so 1 Timothy chapter 3. Any of you have the blue, what is it? 1094 in the blue Bibles in front of you if you do not have your own. That's okay, don't worry about it. That's, it is what it is. Also, don't forget prayer cards, visitor cards, filling those out, right? Do you want me to keep going on what we missed this morning, Chris? <laughs> it's okay not the end of the world so 1st Timothy 3 verse 1 through 7 goes like this the saying is trustworthy if anyone aspires to the office of overseer he desires a noble task 
Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. So let me just give you a little brief background on this. 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, as well as the book of Titus are all from Paul to elders within his church, meaning Timothy and Titus. It is instructions on the house of God, what it should look like, how it ought to operate in a sense, but we know we need a lot of grace <laughs> because we're all sinners bent on our own way and if we didn't have God's grace in this, I don't think anybody would ever measure up, right? Because are you going to be able to save yourself by your good works, or do you need God's grace, his unmerited favor in the first place for salvation? So Paul writes these letters, and as he's giving, he gives uh, Timothy, as well as Titus, a charge to establish elders in the churches that they've, they've been at. Now, it's interesting because we, we, again, have the word elder, but here in this scripture it says overseer. So are they interchangeable? And it would appear so. And then when you think about, you know, the apostles as they led churches, uh, you know, the apostle John led a church, and he certainly had that type of loving and nurturing care. Peter had a type of loving and nurturing care. Paul certainly had a type of loving and nurturing care for God's people. And that's where we find ourselves in this, is overseers. Now, I didn't break it up into points on your sheet of paper, but I certainly broke it up into points on my sheet of paper. It is important to look at it as just kind of one lump sum. Now you see that as well, and it seems like it's a like morality, if, if anything. Like these are just people that are a little more shinier than the others. Is that really the case? Is there people that are perhaps more shinier than the others? But let's face the facts that God called each of us to salvation in the first place. He called us out of darkness into his marvelous light, first and foremost. And then God equips you as believers, as members of his church, not just this local expression here known as gospel life, but the universal expression, the multicultural, multi-ethnic church that exists in every country on the planet. God is not for a country. He is for people. He is for his church. So we see this first verse and the entire first point comes from verses 1 through 3. And I want to tell you it's like this. An overseer is a refined example of God's transforming grace. 
He has taken that person and transformed them into something that they weren't, something they never thought they would be, something other than about themselves, which is so anti-human, <laughs> anti-sinner, it literally is by God's grace alone that they can stand. So an overseer is a refined example of God's transforming grace. So we see that the saying is trustworthy. And why is it trustworthy? Because it's of necessity and it's of purpose. There's a reason behind why God does the things he does. You might not necessarily always understand his reasoning in that moment, but as the church and seeing this, I would hope that you can see the necessity and the purpose of a structure in a household or the family of God. Much like each of you have your own households, right? Perhaps a, a husband and a wife working together, and yet as God created it, the husband is the head, the wife is the supporter, but we joke and say the wife kind of controls the neck if the husband's the head, so she can point him this way or that way and help him out. Either way, God has created us not equal, but ultimately to complement one another in that relationship. And so my spiritual gifts are different than your spiritual gifts. And that exists for all of us. It's a general theme. We all have spiritual gifts. We could go to 1 Corinthians 12 and examine all those spiritual gifts, how there's hands and mouths and feet and ligaments and uh, you know ears, <laughs> as well as a slew of many other you know, body parts. But the point is, one can't say to the other that we're not important. The members are important, and then the elders and the deacons are important as well. Just different gifts for different situations. Now, it is of necessity and purpose, and I want you to know that certainly there's a lot of confusion around this. We see that if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, that they desire a noble task. Well, this phrase, office of overseer, comes from Strong's 1984, or G1984, in episcope, which means a visiting or an overseeing. And it's a noun, but it's feminine noun. Perhaps in the sense that women, I would wholeheartedly agree, are way better nurturers and lovers of people and children than men are. And so it's feminine in that regard. So the HELPS word studies in the concordance, in strongest concordance for this, says really what this means is it's oversight that naturally goes on to provide the care and attention appropriate to a personal visitation. Again, oversight that goes on to provide the care and attention appropriate to the individual. Interesting, right? Probably don't think that. A lot of people have a tendency to think that overseers or elders are, in essence, the authority, the authoritarians, if you will, of the church. They help govern it and they rule over it. And when you look outside and you see a multitude of diversity as well as different uh, church bodies, 
That seems to be the case. It seems to be what people have bought. Now, when you go to that second verse, you see, therefore, an overseer must be, and then it goes into a list. But the overseer there is Strong's G1985, which means Episcopos, which is a superintendent, an overseer. And it's masculine and a noun, meaning a person. So the HELPS word study for an overseer is a man called by God to literally keep an eye on his flock to provide personalized care and protection. I'm going to read that again. An overseer is a man called by God to literally keep an eye on his flock to provide personalized, first-hand care and protection. The word episkopos, overseer, has been regarded traditionally as a position of authority. Whereas in reality, understanding the Greek, the focus is upon the responsibility of caring for others. I think some of your minds just blew. I heard a little pew, pew. Maybe that was just air coming out of the balloon. It's very different than what the world dictates. God's house. Remember, Jesus, I work for him. <laughs> I'm under him. He called me out of darkness into his marvelous light. And then he called me to shepherd a flock. Now, I call myself pastor, which is a shepherd. If I called myself a minister, that means I'm a servant. If I call myself an overseer, then you know I'm a man called by God to literally keep an eye on his flock. Very similar to shepherd, which is why pastor makes a lot of sense in today's world. More so as minister makes sense too, because I am serving others in that regard. Now, the next section of it, and I, and I know that part's really important. Don't lose sight of that because that's the point. I've met and been a part of churches where elders are making, you know, all business decisions, where elders are worrying about buildings, where they're worrying about, you know, finances. This has nothing to do with finances. This is about caring for God's flock from A to Z. Now, as a church planter, it's a little different. I've got to wear a gazillion hats. But I'm hoping as we establish elders and deacons, I can give away some of those hats that I wear so that I can focus on this. Now, above reproach. Oh, man. Irreproachable, never caught doing wrong and not arrested. That's what that means. Above reproach. Then we go into uh, what it says, husband of one wife. This unfortunately irritates a lot of people. And this What's funny is that people say, this is where it can be men only. And I'm like, no, it's in the name, the overseer. It's a masculine noun where it is. The husband of one wife part means you're faithful. Now think about when this was originally written. Think about pluralism. Think about how Mormons today still have a multitude of wives. Think about how, again, like, 
that's wrong on so many different levels. And to be faithful to one, that's what it asks for. Man of one woman is how it's translated as well. Now we come to things like sober-minded or being temperate, self-controlled or being of sound mind, respectable, meaning that they're orderly, virtuous, decent, modest, well-ordered, hospitable, which means literally loving strangers or fond of guests. They're able to teach, apt to teach or skillful in teaching. So those are what we would call the do's <laughs> in this paragraph and in this sentence, because those are the qualities that should be looked after and sought after. Now remember what I named this whole point. The overseer is a refined example of God's transforming grace. Okay, These things certainly most likely don't exist all in their entirety in anyone. And even then, there's varying degrees and varying levels. I struggle with being merciful, in a sense. But yet, at that very same time, I need to remember God's mercy on me to pay it forward for other people just the same. It's kind of one of those things. And so all of this, my wife would tell you, I never used to be hospitable either. I would be like, why do I want those people coming over? Why do I want them eating my food and drinking my drink? Why am I spending money on people I could care less about? God's transforming grace in all of this has changed me. Much like when you first are saved and come to the reality of the truth that Jesus is real and that life isn't an accident and that he has called me, he is real, and there is now a real purpose and meaning behind the existence of life that didn't exist before, aside from what I made it. So, he's done these things just to start. And so, this isn't, again, like a boasting or anything of that nature. This is what God has done and how God structures his church. The next part of it is you get the knots. They are not a drunkard. They are not violent but gentle. They are not quarrelsome and they are not tempted by money. This took a lot of time too. <laughs> I used to be a sales rep, as you know. Money was my identity. I was ruled by money. My meaning and my purpose was tied to how much money I had and how much I could get and how much I could flaunt it over other people. And certainly the drunkard part has never really been a tremendous issue, but in other elders, it has been too. God's transforming grace. Now, I do want to touch on this one part, not violent, but gentle. And I need to remind you that I had to step away from the pulpit for a good two months, maybe even three. I didn't really care. And I just, after the trauma that was experienced in 2021 with my daughter and the, the ridiculousness that went on, my heart changed the sinner in me came out way more ferocious than I had ever experienced before. And in fact, it was probably a good thing because what it did is it revealed just how wicked I really am. 
And then that funny because most people are like, I'm not that bad. Maybe you need to have a traumatic experience so that you can realize just how wicked you are too. So that you can realize you're in need of a savior just like everyone else. And maybe that was the point of it. Maybe that was the fruit of it. I'm not entirely sure, but it had to happen. And if I did not step out of the pulpit, that anger would have tainted God's word. And I listen and I hear a lot of anger coming from today's pulpit. And there need not be anger from God's word. This is about grace. This is about love. This is about faith. This is about mercy. This is about hope. This is your salvation. It's your sanctification. It's your eventual glorification. Where's the anger? And yet because human beings don't have it their way and because people who really aren't overseers elect themselves to become overseers, we find misleading happening all over the place. But that's not what this passage is about. This passage is to give us a good idea of what an overseer is, what they kind of look like and what they do. Now, do I manage all these? Well, I would like to think that God is continuing to grow all of this within me. I don't think I'm perfect. And in fact, I'll be the first to tell you that perfection or wholeness, as the Bible describes it, will never happen until I'm with my Lord and Savior together in heaven. Because as I continue here as a human being, I'm stuck in this sin suit for the time being. So sin being all about self, self-glorification, there's a, always an ever-present danger of coming up here too. Something to consider and to think about. I praise the Lord that he gave me the wisdom to step back I praise the Lord that Ron was here and able to fill in in my absence so that, you know, this could continue. People could continue to be encouraged and built up and loved in all of this. So, regardless of what you may think of individuals, certainly use discernment. We all have judgment because we're created in the image of God. Use discernment. Don't be naive. But don't be condemning either. Remember, they're sinners saved by grace, just like you. And so their responsibility, which is crazy and not something that I certainly would have ever expected from myself, but as the Lord's blessings continue, I've learned to embrace it and grab it and move forward with it. All in his unmerited favor. Not because, again, Eric thinks this is the right thing to do. You should just do it, but no, it is literally a calling. There's no getting around that. I really do get worried when people say they decided that this would be a good idea to preach and to teach. And I go, oh, oh, makes me worry. With good reason, because what's your motive behind it? If it's not God's motive behind it, what's your motive behind it? Because there's only two places motives come from. <laughs> and so we see that. And so remember, an overseer is a refined example of God.
God's transforming grace. Now, verse 4, he must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. And as a parent, I'll give you some parenting advice. What you do is you get them in a headlock like this. You start giving them a noogie. And then when they're like, stop it, stop it. Then you grab their other arm and you start smacking them in the face. And like, why are you hitting yourself? Why are you hitting yourself? Okay, that's a lie. But it's crossed my mind. <laughs> if you've had children, you know how ridiculous they can be at times. And so keeping your children submissive isn't necessarily submissive in that. Do you rule your home with dignity and respect? And is an elder candidate not an elder candidate if he doesn't have children? I want you to know that God can and does make them without children. Here's the thing. Think about the Apostle John. Read his letters, 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. See how many times he calls his flock as an overseer Little children, beloved children, constantly, like almost every paragraph. He's explaining and showing that love to them. The long story short is that they care for their household well, sacrificially, and they're respected by family members. But here's what you need to know about elders and elder candidates in this. The fruit of God's grace is already present in their lives. If someone aspires to the office and their home is a chaotic mess, they need to fix that first. And honestly, those fruits would already be there if God wanted this. So remember that when you see that, first and foremost. And this actually goes for all of us. Your first and most important ministry is your family. Always, even for overseers and elders, always your family first. So those fruits of God's grace are present in the overseer's own household, and it's seen through the children. Now, I want to tell you that my children do not believe. I'm very honest with you. But at the same time, God didn't save me till they were like 14, 15, and I had done plenty of damage by that. But I will say that over the course of the past 10 years, my relationship with my children has gotten way better than it ever was in those years before. As well as my children absolutely have seen a change and respect that change despite not coming to Christ themselves yet. And I tell myself this, God waited 35 years to call me out of darkness into his marvelous light. They're 24 and 21 and full of their own personal dreams. Is it surprising? Not really. You have to lose yourself to find yourself. They have no idea who they even are to begin with. So how are they going to lose who they have no idea who they are in order to find out who they have no idea that they are? God's grace. God's timing is perfect. And for you parents out there that are worried about your children coming to the faith, remember this testimony and remember that example. God waited 35 years for me, but he's going to use you, parent, as an example to those children to show that God's grace is transforming and that the reality of the truth hits home and that 
we've done things for them that we never imagined that we would ever have to do. But by God's grace, his unmerited favor, we're able to do those and to move forward. And then lastly, the third and final point, if you will, which I don't have down for you, but it's verse 6 and 7. Okay? And it says, He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. To simplify this, they are mature, mature in their walk and their beliefs in Christ. They're well thought of ultimately by non-believers and believers alike. There is something different. There is something about being a part of the community. I had a brother in the Lord ask me briefly, like, is there ever a way that you can separate Eric Gross from Gospel Life Bible Church? My easy answer was no. <laughs> there really isn't. I don't know how to do that. I've been called out of darkness into his marvelous light. I've been given a calling. I am... As you read in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I am an ambassador for Christ. I am a new creation in Christ. And my life is out there. And it is the way it is because of the changes God has done. Now the Eric Gross is still there. And he's still, like I said, can be pretty wicked. It took a long time. You know, to fully realize just how depraved ultimately I was, because the battle cry ultimately of those who are falling is, I'm not that bad. But the truth is, you're bad enough. And everyone's bad enough for need of a Savior. So I have to say, too, must not be a recent convert. I was a pretty wild child when I was first <laughs> came to Christ. It took many, many years, and it took an education, and it took a lot of refinement. I said things like, God chose me and not you. I said things like, God loves me. I guess he doesn't love you. I said things to those natures because I was so excited about my salvation that I could care less about yours. It was that exciting. Luckily, luckily, the people that I told that to still talk to me today. <laughs> and they certainly have seen a change in Eric. But there is a really big danger. They, we are like rabid little wolves when we first uh, come to Christ. And that's why certainly no one who initially comes, it takes years. This is why, like... Someone says overnight, you know, it's a good idea. I should do this. Like, no, it's not. It's going to take a lot. And as you've heard me say from the pulpit many times, I've got a lot of favorite characters, you know, in the Bible, people who are like, Lord, I think you got the wrong guy. Lord, please go find someone else. Lord, please. But God's persistent and he's pursuant. 
much like he is with you and your salvation. He continues to swoon you with flowers, and chocolates, and roses, and whatever else until you're like, you know, you are pretty good. And then, boom, the embrace happens, and he never lets go. You might walk away and think you can walk away, but he still knows, and he still loves, and he still follows. And so, must be well thought of by outsiders uh, that naturally, like, if I was so self-centered and so self-contained and just sitting in here, not reaching out, not doing the work of the evangelist, as Paul tells Timothy to do as well, continue preaching in season and out of season, season, continue to tell people about the good news of the gospel to continue. So there's a lot of hats, if you will, in this. But the overseer, again, to remind you, is a man called by God to literally keep an eye on his flock to provide personalized care and protection when possible. It's a two-way street though, right? Like if I'm constantly bugging you and you don't want to be bugged, well, okay. Now, that worked the other way, I would be in the wrong and I shouldn't be an overseer. If that worked out the way where you're asking for my help and I'm denying you help, I have no business being an overseer. I hope, and I say that with a little bit of doubt, <laughs> which isn't the biblical term of it, it's the human term of hope, meaning it's a wish. My wish is that certainly, hopefully, that uh, again, this can be a blessing for all of us to understand how this works and especially how we build each other up. And I would hope that, you know, there aren't people out there that I can't communicate with. I do believe, telling you the truth in this, that God has been grooming these things long before I even really... I don't, I don't even know, because I heard about God, like I didn't care about him though at the same time, but many of these things God had been working on for a long time. Whether it be like through my life or through my careers or my ability to talk as a sales rep or like I hated speech class. I wrote speeches about M&Ms and milk and procrastination. I wrote the procrastination uh, uh one 30 minutes before I had to give the speech. It was that good. And yet here I am every week, hopefully rightly handling the word of truth as God would allow me by his grace and his mercy to inform us efficiently and effectively on a daily basis. But none of this happens without God. I could tell you a gazillion and one more stories. My life really is an open book. I could tell you about all the wicked, wild things I did. I'll even tell you guys this so that you can put a seed in your head. When my mom or when my friend turned 16, his mom moved to Southern Illinois and left him the house. There were about 30 of us at that house on any given day and night. You can imagine the debauchery that happened there and the life that went on there. That's just one small little aspect of it. And then going to college, meeting Jennifer, you know, so many different things. It really is an open book. And I'm here for you all as an overseer, as one who shepherds over the flock. 
Again, I remind you, as a church planter, my hats got to be a lot. But ultimately, this is the calling to watch over the flock, to care for all of us. And I do that by rightly teaching the Word of God, not misleading you, not manipulating you in some twisted way, but be careful out there. Be really, really careful out there. And continue to test me. Maybe something's going to creep. Maybe there's going to be a time I'm going to be tempted by money again. I really feel that that's slim and almost non-existent, especially after living the life I lived where my entire identity and self-worth was wrapped up into my money. I can't imagine going back to that, but maybe, maybe some other kind of crazy trauma is going to happen and I'm going to fly off the handle again. And I'm just, like, it, it hit, like, you know, you talk about short fuses, like, it hit that, boom, just exploded. I started watching Dexter. <laughs> I started, I started, I started fantasizing about how, like, like it, it was creepy. It was literally creepy. But in my heart and in my necessity for human justice and, and the justice that I so desired, anything less would be less and not worth it. That's the scary part. And I had no idea I was that sick and twisted until that type of thing happened. So hopefully this doesn't happen to you guys, but I know the Lord is good. I've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. I know he's always good. And I know human beings are sinners that are bent on self and really could care less about who they hurt. So... Knowing these truths and the two sides of the truths, praise the Lord. I didn't run away from the Lord being like, why didn't you fix this? Why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do that? And then I came to my age old life old question. Why didn't you kill these sinners that are doing these heinous things? And then I realized, gosh, God's keeping me alive. Why on earth is God keeping me alive when I am a sinner just as bad as these sinners, thinking these thoughts and violence and all these other things? So why does God allow sinners to live? I have no idea why he hasn't killed you and everyone else yet. It must be because he loves you for some reason. It must be because he cares about his planet and his world and his people. He cares about human beings because he created them. And every single human being is created in his image. And now as his church, we come together as those believers in Christ, being saved by God's transforming grace in each and every one of us. And each and every one of us has a special gift and a special talent that the Lord has given us. But in this moment, certainly see the overseer, understand what the overseer is, and then you can see, hopefully, how the human condition and culture and society has changed God's original plan to be something that it's not. But this is what I'm standing on. This is what I look for in other elders for this church. There are two, and I told you, and the beauty of the church is that these two men, I believe, are already doing the duties of an elder without even being recognized as an elder. It's amazing. It really is. And so I praise the Lord for that. And when we get to deacons, I do believe the same thing. God has already 
ordained them in the sense to be deacons. It's just a matter of what they're deacons of, in a sense. Because their hearts are more tuned to service than others. They care more. They show up earlier. They show up more often. They stay later. They're here. They're present. They're available. And they care. Now, as members too, as Christ's church, each one of us have that. Each one of us have those gifts, those opportunities, the caring. You may not be an elder, you may not be a deacon, but you are a member of God's family. And as a member of God's family, you have a voice and an opinion. Hopefully your opinion aligns with God's opinions, but I respect that that is not always the case. And every opinion is valid because it's yours. So, as the household of God, I pray that we continue to work together to build each other up, as well as to continue to build up the community of Genoa and bless it. This is why we're here. This is why we were called the Genoa. That's why I was initially called the Genoa. You were all kind of here, living here. You just, you just needed a place to, to gather and share your gifts and your talents. I was called here because, and, and it's so funny, uh, even in my own, I don't know what you'd call it, arrogance back in the day, I remember, why don't you come check out Genoa? My immediate response is, why? <laughs> why would I come check out Genoa? What's there? Who cares? That was my first response. Now, you can't pull me away from Genoa. What Chris was talking about with the uh, comprehensive task force or the comprehensive plan, Genoa comprehensive plan, I'm part of that task force. It's part of the reason why I came here in the first place is to see God work in this community and to make Genoa a better place for all people, not just the believers, because I believe as we continue to share that love of God, people are going to be like, why are you doing the things that you do? And that's when we get our opportunity to be like, Jesus it's him. He's awesome. If you haven't met him, let me help. <laughs> he's incredible. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And he's the reason that I'm here in Genoa. And the reason I'm serving at this event. And the reason I actually care. Unlike some other people in our community. Praise the Lord for that. Praise the Lord for his church. Praise the Lord for his people. Praise the Lord every day. <laughs> in every way, build your life upon him. As we sang that song, one of my favorites, literally had tears coming down my eyes. Amazing, amazing what God has done and continues to do. And I hope I've been a fair example for you of God's transforming grace. I know many of you, I don't know from before, but I've seen the change in your life since you've come to know Christ as well. And that is by far the greatest joy I think I've experienced. Is someone with new life in Christ. I love weddings. Don't get me wrong. They're a blast. And especially when you get to officiate it and hang out and talk to everybody. But the greatest thing I think I've ever witnessed is someone that has that light bulb turn on like I did all those years ago. It's amazing, amazing grace as it is. Because I can't do that. Only God can do that. 
And when God chooses someone to reveal himself to, and mightily like that, that's someone we got to know. That's someone we should be hanging out with. That's someone that's part of the family that we're part of. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for your grace. Thank you so much for your love on each of our lives. And just thank you. There aren't words enough to, to give you the praise that you deserve. You certainly are worthy of every song we could ever sing, worthy of every praise we could ever bring, worthy of everything. And so, Lord Jesus, I just ask you to keep tuning our hearts and our minds to your will. Continue to sanctify us by the Spirit. Continue to love us as only you can do, and continue to stand by us as only you can. So, Lord Jesus, we love you. It's in your name we pray, and we trust you that our walks in life will be for your glory and ultimately our good. Amen.